Hello and welcome to another edition of the Scottish Liberty Podcast, a special edition. We have with us my friend Stephen Lingham. Hello. And he's doing a show at the Fringe this year called... Uh, it's called This Is Not A Safe Space. Welcome to our unsafe space, first of all. Um, okay, well tell us, your show, how long has it been running now? Uh, yes, so this evening will be the third run. Okay. Um, yes, it's still a bit rough around the edges, maybe. Um, uh, yeah, but no, it's coming along nicely. Yeah, it's had a good turnout, so I'm quite pleased with how it's going. And the venue? It's at Opium. It's every evening at 6.45. It's downstairs. It's in the back room, so it's just as you go in on the right. Opium and the Cowgate. Yeah, on the ground okay. floor. Have they got rid of the pool table at least? To get, uh... Uh, yeah, no, it's quite a good uh, venue. Yeah, it's quite right. yeah. Smashing. Uh, it's going good guns. Yeah, 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 and I'm really enjoying it, yeah, and a good turnout. I, I was worried that no one would come, but yeah, it seems that people yeah. are interested, interested in the... I was uh, fortunate enough to come down last night yeah, and, yeah. and catch it, and the turnout was great. And I have to say, I found the show very informative and interesting, funny in places, and also you include some of your poetry. So I'm very interested to know what inspired you to do this show and at this time. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because there are a lot of new ideas and I find it fascinating just how quickly society changes because, I mean, it was uh, a decade ago that The God Delusion was released in 2006 and that, you know, started the New Atheism Movement. Yeah. And that was a movement to push back against religion. So we're a decade on now. And it's interesting because there's a lot of new ideas coming out. You know, there's this new uh, feminism movement. Or, well, actually, I guess the third wave started in the 90s and we're seeing the continuation of it. I mean, some people are arguing this is a, this is a fourth wave. Some argue that it's just a continuation of the third wave. Yeah, you could even argue it's just even a continuation of the first wave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess um, I guess the second wave was said to have started with the feminine mystique in the same way that the atheism movement started with the God Delusion. Okay. And then, of course, you had the um, Letter to a Christian Nation by Sam Harris that came out in the same year as the God Delusion. And you had a whole load of other things that sort of spurred on the atheism movement. But yeah, the interesting thing about the new feminism movement is obviously it's tackling sexism that still exists. Uh, I mean, men are more likely than women to commit uh, domestic violence or like a sexual assault. So, And I mean, there's loads of other things like, you know, the free the nipple, like women still don't have the legal right to go topless in public. So there are a lot of good reasons to be a feminist. But the interesting thing is that, like all movements, there are maybe some ideas that are bad and there are some people that take it too far and become radicalised. And so there are many, many new ideas that are coming out recently that are a part of this sort of uh, new feminism ideology. Safe spaces, trigger warnings, cultural appropriation, no platforming speakers, microaggressions. And it's interesting because... Rape culture? Yeah, 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 that's another idea. Uh, within this new ideology and the interesting thing is if you ask the question um, is feminism good or bad are you a feminist yes or no that misses out on a lot of the nuance and complexity and so I think it makes much more sense to take each individual idea one at a time mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of what my show does yeah it okay. just sort of addresses all these new ideas there so you attribute all of these ideas to the feminist movement or do you think that all of these ideas are part of a larger cultural movement that this feminist have just seized upon yeah that's an interesting question I mean it depends how you define it so I'll give you my uh, reasons I mean because obviously you could say that some of these ideas have nothing to do with feminism like for example trigger warnings the point of a trigger warning is to help someone who has PTSD so that's got nothing to do with gender Um, but the reason I think a lot of these ideas might fall under this new umbrella term of uh, third wave feminism 
is that they're sort of pushed by feminism websites. To be fair, they're also pushed by a lot of the left-wing media, such as uh, Vox and Gawker and ATTN, uh, even maybe Huffington Post and Guardian, Yeah, uh, that are more mainstream. The HuffPost, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're pushing these new ideas. So to be fair, it's maybe not just feminism, but certainly feminism is pushing these ideas, so they're maybe not just a part of feminism. It's the yeah. inter- idea of intersectional feminism, that you don't just judge how privileged or unprivileged someone is by their sex, but also sexual orientation, race, religion. They might be marginalised in some other ways. This movement has been emerged, which is criticised or caricatured as the social justice warrior movement. And I kind of like that term because I think it does drum up the idea of someone riding in the back of a horse with a sword in their hand, trying to slay down injustice left and right, which is a caricature of how these people see themselves. They see themselves as being heroic by shouting down or slaying anyone who has a dissenting opinion. And I guess I see the feminist aspect of it as one element of that um, social justice warrior movement alongside the Black Lives Matter kind of movement and adjoining that seemingly contradictory to me in some ways, calling out people for Islamophobia and so forth for critiquing parts of Islamic religion or particularly Islamic political philosophy, a lot of which is um, prejudicial against women and homosexuals and other marginalised groups which the social justice warriors see themselves as protecting. Yeah, so isn't this a kind of new variation of an old theme though? Isn't it just good old-fashioned censorship appropriated mm. you know, by uh, maybe a new movement uh, for their own purposes? I, mean, I don't think there's anything new about uh, shouting people down or wanting to censor them or saying there's certain, there's certain opinions that you can't have you know, it's beyond the pale. Uh, you would get these kind of attitudes usually from the old religious right. And that's what I was thinking. That mm. was a right-wing movement censorship. Mm. It was, oh, you can't have swearing in records. Oh, you can't show someone on television with both of their feet on a bed. Yeah, you can't have nudity. You can't have nudity and mm-hmm. so forth. Whereas this seems to very much come from the left. The far, far left. It's fascinating because this is, I guess, the first time in history that the people pushing for censorship are the left wing. Free speech has now become a right wing issue, which I think is fascinating. And this has happened over a relatively short period of time. It maybe happened over the space of just decades. Uh, some people maybe excuse it by saying they have good intentions. They say their heart's yeah. in the right place, but I think the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Absolutely. Um, so it's interesting because these some of these ideas come from a place of compassion so people want to ban speakers because someone might get hurt if they hear an idea that they disagree with yeah i think uh, sometimes it seems this compassion conflicts with uh, free speech okay i mean i'm personally of the opinion at, at, the, at this moment in time at least that the greatest threat to free speech and liberty at this moment in time, in Britain at least, is from radical feminism. Would you agree with that or would you think that's hyperbole? Uh, Yeah, no, I do agree with that. No, certainly I do. It's interesting because um, as far as the law goes, I mean, there are laws against certain advertisements when it comes to religion. Mm. So it's maybe only religion that's protected in law. So according to the um, uh, Advertising Standards Association, you're not allowed to uh, have an advertisement that causes serious or widespread offence to religion. 
Uh, so religious people are protected from being offended by the law. But certainly culturally, it seems this new uh, radical feminism is yeah. the driving force for censorship. Yeah. I mean, whatever happened to that? I mean, I can remember an ad, uh, I mean, you talked about the new atheist earlier, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, and a bunch of others, you know, uh, sponsored an advert on the side of buses that said, you know, there probably isn't a God, mm. you know, and lots of religious people got up in arms on that and said they were offended by it. I mean, so, I mean, what is offence at the end of the day? Surely at the end of the day, it's inherently offensive to tell somebody that they're wrong. I mean, that, that, that must, that, you, a lot of people would be hurt by that by saying, look, you're wrong. I think you've got this tragically wrong, and I think you need to have a rethink. A lot of people would be hurt by that. So at what point, I mean, would you, do you think anything, is there anything that should be, that, uh, should be censored? Is there anything that, that you shouldn't allow to say? Or is it all a matter of context? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, maybe there are uh, some exceptions, and it, it's difficult to define what it means to be offensive. I mean, obviously, there are laws against hate speech and inciting yeah. violence. Uh, but I mean, practically speaking, I mean, the, the laws I'm talking about only apply to advertising specifically. Mm -hmm. But I mean, some of the uh, examples that have been banned are actually very mild. Like there's an advert that says something like, you can get miraculous deals on Samsung phones. And there's a picture of Jesus and that was banned. And right, okay. uh, there's uh, there a picture of a pregnant nun eating ice cream and that was banned. Um, right. And actually that ad that advertisement that you were just talking about, yeah. uh, right. there's probably no God, so just enjoy your life or whatever yeah. it said. That wasn't banned. Actually, one of the high court judges said that it might be breaking the law. So okay. that came close to being uh, censored. Um, so yeah, certainly uh, when it comes to uh, advertising relating to religion, the laws are, are relatively strict. And uh, I mean, I'm involved with the humanists. Yeah. Certainly humanists would agree that, you know, those laws are too strict and uh, mm. religion has enjoyed this privilege. And uh, Yeah, you know, right, for the blasphemy laws and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, certainly culturally it does seem to be uh, this new form of feminism that's becoming increasingly popular. What is it? I mean, is it born out of fear? Is it the fear that... Is there something behind this? Is it, is it the fear of maybe being wrong? Or is it the fear that your opponents may have more facts and information than you do and you can't combat that, so uh, it's best to just shut them up? Is there a bit of that? Or is it all born out of compassion, do you think? And the, and the, the, the absolute is, you know, zealotry and zealousness to, 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 to have justice or supposed justice as they see it. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me, I mean, I call myself a feminist because I think there are a lot of good reasons to be a feminist. And Okay, give us, uh, for instance. Uh, so good reasons to be a feminist would be reducing domestic violence, to uh, reducing uh, 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 rape, because, I mean, you know, I mean, there are statistics that are maybe exaggerated, like the one in mm. five statistic is exaggerated, but, you know, there is still a lot of rape, so I think until we get that number to zero, there's still, like, uh, good Reducing rape, um, just to give a counterpoint here, reducing rape, uh, absolutely, and, and reducing uh, domestic violence, why would that be specific to feminism though? Why wouldn't that just be conducive to having an orderly society? Why wouldn't that be egalitarian, for example? Why wouldn't it just be uh, being good? You know, what, 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 what is it specifically about those things that, that make it a woman's issue or a feminist issue? Surely it's an individual issue. Yeah, well, it depends what you mean. I mean, I would call myself uh, an egalitarian and a humanist and a feminist. I don't really have a problem with labels. Right. Um, but, I mean, uh, I guess um, it does affect women more than men outside of prison. I mean, men get raped more inside of prison, I think. Mm. Uh, but outside of prison, uh, women are uh, getting raped more. And they do experience uh, domestic abuse more. Men experience it to a degree, but women experience it more. But certainly, I do agree that we just need to tackle it on both sides of the gender. I think cycle. certainly abroad... 
there are a lot of places in the world where women's fare significantly worse than men do. They might not have the same property rights, they might not have the same access to land, they might not be able to drive, they might not be able to go outside of the house without wearing a veil. Or with a male companion or something like that. And so forth. There's some countries where women fare incredibly badly in the world mm. at the moment. I would say that there's a place for what you might call feminism mm -hmm. in these instances. What I find compelling is the fact that these social justice warriors seem to be focused on the idea that Western cultures that sprung up out of Europe, you would think that we were the worst culture. I hate that word, we, because I'm not everyone in, in Europe or North America. You would think that European yeah, cultures were the worst, the most unjust, but actually on the world scale, they are some of the most, if not the most, egalitarian, multicultural and tolerant cultures in the world. But is it, is it a case, do you think, then, of from those who have much, much is expected? If you, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Because we're, then we, they, so they expect... So we should you, hold ourselves to higher standards. We should hold ourselves... I think that's the thinking. I'm not saying I buy it, but I think that's the, the position behind it. Let me just ask one thing here. I mean, I, I heard a statement about a year ago. I mean, I, I don't regard myself as a feminist. I regard myself probably as an anti-feminist. There I said it. But... Um, I, that doesn't mean to say I'm, I'm, I'm against you know women getting a fair crack of the whip or anybody you know it's just it's all about individual rights to mm. me it's not a matter of gender it's about individual rights but I had a statement I was uh, it serves me right I was listening to Radio 4's Women's Hour and uh, on there they had the editor of Elle magazine and they had the apparently there's a men's hour on uh, BBC Radio 5 Live who'd have thought it so I thought okay we're going to have a balanced discussion here we've got a guy from men's hour okay hey here we go get one of the guys but the guy from men's hour just sat and agreed with everything that the editor of Elle magazine said including which was she made a statement that it's unacceptable for a man not to be a feminist how do you feel about that statement uh, yeah, I disagree with that sentiment because I think labels are very relative and I think sometimes, I mean, the dictionary definition of feminism is just someone who either advocates for gender equality. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I think sometimes a movement can be decoupled from its definition. And of course, because there are so many different versions of feminism, so many different waves of feminism, right. so many ideas within feminism, that I think if someone tries to force a label on someone, then I disagree with that. And right. it's interesting because a lot of the time, you know, feminists will be, um, when they're talking about trans people, they'll say, oh, you shouldn't force a label on them. And I right. agree with and I agree with that actually, okay. but then they seem to have this double standard where they try and force the label feminism on other people. And right. I call myself a feminist because yeah. I choose to. Sure. But I certainly think people should have the freedom to choose their own label. Uh, and because there are so many different versions of feminism. Yeah. And the backlash from feminists against women in the public eye who choose not to identify as feminists mm. has been really quite shocking. Some people have had to uh, recant their statements and come back with a tail between their legs. Some Katie Perry lost, being a case in point. Some people have lost jobs over this. Mm. So, I yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting point because when whenever anybody brings up uh, violence against women or hate speech against women or uh, or whatever, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos being a case in point about somebody who, who who gave a woman a hard time on it. When you look at the absolute vitriol that gets poured out from feminists uh, to, or obviously some feminists, let's not paint them all with the, the one brush here, but a lot of feminists against other women who don't toe the party line. Mm -hmm. 
It's it's shocking. I mean, I've I've seen. I mean, I don't don't ask me how one woman's going to rape another woman, but I've actually seen. You know, or I hope you get raped. You know, I've seen that from people claiming to be feminists against women who have said things. You know, don't fit in with the feminist uh, worldview. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no, I completely uh, agree with that. And uh, I mean, sim- similarly, there are people who have said uh, you should vote for Hillary Clinton if you're a feminist. Uh, but of course, it shouldn't be. And there's uh, a special place in hell for women who don't vote for Hillary. That was a, a, a female uh, High Court justice that said that. I mean, that's, oh right, I hadn't yeah. heard that quote. I read that right, yeah, before. right, yeah. That's. I mean, that's that's a bizarre thing to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. well, I mean, what are Hillary Clinton's feminist credentials? I mean, she was basically. Oh, she feministly stood by her philandering yeah, husband. She, she uh, was a queen. Uh, for, <laughs> what, sorry? A queen. A queen. Uh, okay. For a female version of a cuckold oh, wow. okay. uh, for her husband uh, as he continued to have sex with just about everything that moved and be unfaithful to her and then lie about it afterwards as well exactly so and he humiliated a lot her... of women by making them out to be liars and one thing that I think is very revealing about the, the feminist movement and their left wing prejudice is the fact that here they talk about an imbalance of power between man and woman. Here you've got supposedly the most powerful man in the world, the President of the United States, putting a cigar up the genitals of a 19-year-old intern. I mean, talk about an imbalance of power. But there was nothing from feminists on Bill Clinton. No one said this is... I don't know about nothing, but there certainly wasn't... There wasn't the furore you would have expected. If it was... uh, Republican president, feminists would have had him. Yeah. And I think if we're going to talk about feminism being an egalitarian movement, I would like to see feminists acknowledge the the achievements of women, some of you know whom I'm not a huge fan of, like uh, Thatcher, um, who you know the first female prime minister. Great Britain. Theresa May, the second female, female Prime Minister, both from um, the right, it's cra- you know, uh, strangely. <laughs> one of, I think, the clearest thinkers in political philosophy, Anne Rand, obviously absolutely hated and besmirched by feminists. Mm-hmm. And, um, all, and there was a conservative feminist movement, Christina Hoff Summers, who mm. you've told me that you're a fan of, has mm. a presentation on it. And um, we've got Wendy McElroy at ifeminist.org. She's a libertarian feminist. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know. I mean, I just feel like the or you, or you feel, or you feel. So it's about feelings, is it over fact? Your facts don't care about your feelings, Anthony. Okay. <laughs> well, I have my. Uh, I had. Let's say I have the impression that this movement is more about a sense of victimhood and the justness and the superiority of the victim. Now I know all about this because I'm from a Jewish background. And if there's... We're getting our victim cock on the uh, table. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. Right. Well, no, no, I mean, not because I've been oppressed, but I come out of a culture that celebrates and identifies with victimhood. Okay. There is this strain in the culture that I come from which sees itself as superior to other cultures because it has been persecuted, because it has suffered... And in Judaism, in Jewish, Jewish culture, to a large degree, I generalize, of course, there's this view of seeing that 
the more you suffer, and it is transported to the personal level where you see these people. I'm not saying all, of course, but there are people in that culture. They're wallowing in their suffering. They wallow in their own personal suffering as though it makes them superior. And I think there's an unconscious belief there, which is irrational, that because that suffering was so hard, if I now indulge in it, then that will lead to some reward, either in the hereafter or it makes me a better person or something like that. And I think that's when you try and disillusion say feminist or social justice warriors of their views you're not just trying to talk them out of an irrational position if your position is right you're taking away their victimhood and if you take away their crutch you're taking and if you take away their victimhood they're not entitled to any special privileges that's why they talk about take check your privilege because they want to even even the books. Now, mm. if you're more privileged than them, then they're entitled to something. It's like so socialists. Oh, we're entitled to something. We're entitled to something from the state or from people who have more than us. And I so think, it's an entitlement mentality is what you're I saying. I think it. that's why you come to such a difficulty in reasoning with these people because they have got something to gain from being right. And I think that a lot of them have suffered and they are projecting their personal suffering or whatever difficulties they've suffered onto the world. But is there not, is there not quite a few of that type of personality who haven't really suffered and therefore they buy into somebody else's suffering as a way of, you know, I mean, the, you, you, the kind of stereotype of the middle class sort of lefty, you know, daddy wouldn't buy me a pony. I don't want to over-psychologise it, you know, but daddy wouldn't buy me a pony when I was three. That was the injustice they kind of suffered in their life. You well, know? I think you'll find that in those cases, they probably um, didn't have close relationships with their fathers or were rather neglected. Maybe he was out working and things like that. And in a lot of cases, they've seen their, their mothers treated very badly by their fathers. Yeah, for sure. And then they might go out and project that onto all men. So... I mean, have any has any of the sisterhood turned up to your to your to your gig yet and, and gave you or, or do you, do you expect you any sort of time. backlash? Uh, no, I mean it seems that if anyone's disagreed, they've just quietly disagreed. I think if someone okay. reads the description of the show, then you know that yeah, they probably wouldn't turn up if they're going to strongly disagree with it. So no, I've not had anyone turn up that has strongly disagreed so what far. About in your previous performances, have you had bad feedback? Um, I mean, I guess I have had... Uh, just just couple, from you, aren't they? <laughs> uh, I maybe have had a couple of examples, nothing too bad. I mean, I have, I have had uh, people strongly disagree with some of my uh, poems. Um, you yeah. disagreed with your poems? <laughs> yeah, 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 of all, things, of all things that could oppress you. It's poetry that's really keeping you down. <laughs> you and your patriarchal poetry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I have seen you badly treated on Facebook. And I've, I've in fact seen you dismissed out of hand for no other reason than you've got a penis. I, I've seen you post a lengthy post. A lengthy penis. He posted a lengthy penis. I, I saw say. you respond to someone very Link. respectfully and in detail to their point, and they replied just to say that you were mansplaining. And that they um, they didn't have to respond to you. <laughs> now that term, in my opinion, is fucking sexist. It's the ad hominem fallacy in philosophy. You're not meant to judge someone's argument by their character or who they are. You're meant to judge it by reason and evidence. 
So when you bring out a term like mansplaining, which I've heard you being be accused of on Facebook, I think that's just sexist. And for people who talk about gender inequality, it's like, I remember I posted a sarcastic comment back saying like, I prefer to judge arguments by reason and evidence rather by, than by the gender of the person posting. Mm. I guess I just believe in equality yeah. like that. But isn't mansplaining in terms of the new paradigm, in terms of the new uh, the third wave, if you want, of feminism, isn't mansplaining really because of your gender, because of the cultural baggage that you bring to the table with your gender, anything that you say to the, that makes a counterpoint to their arguments must be mansplaining. Well, I mean, I'd, I wouldn't want to strawman them. I think the best, okay. I think the best definition of mansplaining is because I think if we're going to criticise it, we need to criticise the best version of it. Okay. Uh, so I think the best definition of mansplaining is if a man speaks down to a woman, woman if he condescends a woman specifically because of her, he, of, her of her gender, so specifically because he has a sexist bias and she and he thinks, oh, she's a woman, therefore she must know less about physics mm-hmm. than me. So I think that's the best definition of mansplaining. But I still have maybe. I if I, if I use the term dear every time I speak, if I say, well, that, that's just, here's how it is, dear, Was that, would that be mansplaining? <laughs> um, oh, I'm not sure. I mean, it, I think it's very subjective. Some people wouldn't okay. mind at all being called dear. But um, I think I still have maybe one or two problems with the word mansplain. So yeah. the first problem I have with it is that uh, it kind of generalises about men. And I think if it's done in a joking way, I think that's perfectly fine. Sure. But you know, some people really sort of get up in arms about it. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, one one thing about modern feminism is their propensity to tack the word man onto anything they don't like. So you have okay. mansplaining, manslamming, man spreading Oh, man-spreading, that's a cracker. We're all doing it now, actually. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, man-spreading we're, we're as we man-splain. Yeah. <laughs> well, victims of our own internalised <laughs> patriarchy here. Uh, male privilege, uh, male pride, toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity, another one. What yeah. the fuck is so, that? You so, know, I mean, I know, I understand, but they, yeah, it, it's... It's incredible. I mean, when, when you actually isolate it, if you isolate it and you didn't say this is... Is there su- such a thing as toxic feminism? Of course not. Don't be silly. You know, you know, I mean... Well, it depends how you define it. I mean, yeah, I, I agree that there shouldn't be a double standard, but I think that's I think that's a good way to sort of uh, rebut these arguments because as soon yeah. as you start saying, um, oh, you're women nagging, then of course that sounds sexist because it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, of course. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. So you had a point I interrupted you. Well, I think with, with toxic masculinity, I mean, at its worst, I don't mean toxic masculinity, it's worst, but the, the definition at its worst. I mean, I've heard feminists claim that young boys as young as two years old have internalised misogyny. Even young girls can have internalised misogyny. I think Unless they don't agree with feminist points, then they, they've got... Well, to clearly... The yeah. only reason... Th- this is the problem with this movement, because it's... I mean, just it, quickly, just before you say... How many people would immediately understand what misogyny is? But when you say the word misandry, nobody's got a clue, generally speaking, about what misandry is. It's as if, you know, why would that exist? You know, it doesn't, doesn't yeah, I mean, well. I mean, men are usually portrayed in the media as, I mean, all of the cartoons that are family-based, like The Simpsons, Family Guy, and etc., the man is the always a, a dumb idiot, and the woman's always incredibly competent, even, or comparatively competent. Yeah. Uh, men are I mean, even going often, back to stuff from the 50s and 60s, like uh, the Moonlighters, with, I mean, he, he, he strutted around the place bellowing and giving orders, but he was always the idiot, and the the wife was always the one who kept him on the straight and narrow. Now this is this is yeah. back in the back in the fifties when you know it was the height of what you would call maybe the patriarchy if it did indeed exist. 
Well, I mean, we only care about beer, football, and sex. So well, I, I we certainly only really... care about two of those. But uh, <laughs> you can keep the football. Just give me extra beer and sex. I just want to say something about man spreading as well. This is one oh, of yeah. the things that pisses me off, right? Because you've got women having their clitorises chopped off in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And all they can talk about is how oppressive it is if you open your knees too far from one another on the train. I mean, is this really the best they can do? There are serious, serious problems facing women at the moment. And all this fainting couch feminism... According to Christine Hall Summers, I think she coined that term. Yes. That's uh, a fantastic term, actually. ...is is demeaning to women because it assumes that they're these fragile creatures that can't deal with a guy uh, putting his knees a bit too far apart and it's like why are you putting this all on the guys why don't you teach these women to be assertive and if you're uncomfortable turn around and say excuse me you know can you make me a little bit of room on the train that's what a dude would be expected to do he'd be expected to turn around and tell someone that they're taking up too much space i don't think that Okay, Anthony, it's time I told you you're taking up far too much space on this couch here. Okay. You know, so could you close I thought you were going to say I was taking too much space on the show. Which <laughs> no, just is on the a couch. Yeah, close your legs for crying out loud. You know? In New York, people were actually arrested for manspreading. As... Are, are, are we serious? I mean, is this is this not maybe some sort of Daily Mail, you know? Is that is that true? New York is one of the uh, most progressive American states, but I think at the moment they're progressing off the edge of a cliff. Some of these ideas are sort of uh, Trojan horse ideas because they're marketed as being left-wing progressive ideas, but actually they're quite authoritarian. And so, you know, they're marketed as sort of, uh, you know, you're helping women by arresting people who manspread. uh, And so people buy into it, but of course, um, arresting people for sitting... Uh, comfortably or with their legs too wide apart. Is, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't, does, it doesn't strike me. Do. Yeah, well, it doesn't strike me as the best, uh, you know, use of their resources and manpower. To be honest, but you know, but can I just manpower? But my, oh, You're I, so I'm patriarchal. I'm so patriarchal. I'm really sorry. Yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. People power, whatever the fuck you would call it these days. But just quickly on the on the female circumcision thing, it's horrific, and I'm not one of these people who would try and equate for a moment uh, female uh, genital mutilation with male circumcision. In fact, I once got called uh, a mangina on YouTube uh, for, for for saying, wait a minute, guys, here. Like, I mean, okay, there is a case with male circumcision, but it's not anywhere in the same ballpark. Quite In Africa, there's guys have circumcision, and it's usually when they're about 13 years old, and that's got to hurt as well, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Uh, it's not in the same ballpark, but it's... But it's not legal... <laughs> to circumcise a female in the so-called most advanced countries in the world. I'm not saying that they're equivalent either. There's obviously a massive difference between the two, but at least female circumcision is illegal in the West, and we don't, we don't allow, allow people to perform that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's different types of uh, female circumcision or genital mutilation. Yeah, sometimes it's the whole clitoris, sometimes it's the labia, something, but it's all horrific, I suppose. Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. And there's still a lot of female genital mutilation that exists. Yeah. Uh, even in our country to an extent, or people sometimes take their children abroad to another country to have it performed. Yeah. I mean, I, d- I don't think I agree with the argument that just because worse problems exist, then we should completely ignore the smaller problems. Mm. But I think I would just say that, uh, yeah, I mean, man, man-spreading in a lot of cases uh, isn't as bad as it's made yeah. out to be. I think maybe one of the reasons there's been a bias created is because, you know, a lot of feminism websites, you know, they do focus... 
maybe 90% or more on women's issues. Mm. And uh, because of this, they're never exposed to some of the issues that men face. And of course, if you're only being exposed to that information, then it might create a bias in you. Mm-hmm. It does. And so, yeah, but how would you ever have equality when you only focus on the needs of one gender? Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, maybe that's fine uh, to an extent, but I think when it becomes problematic is some of the more uh, radical feminists um, on, for example, everydayfeminism.com, they self-identify as intersectional feminists, but they have a more sort of radical version of intersectionality. Okay, could you explain for us intersectional feminism what that that means? So anybody out here who who wouldn't know. So intersectional feminism is they've effectively replaced the concept of a patriarchy with a kiriarchy. So a kiriarchy is when you're oppressed in more than one way. So it's not just men oppressing women, it's also whites oppressing blacks, it's able people oppressing disabled people, and uh, straight people oppressing gay people, and so on. And this all comes from a Marxist view, where Marx believed that the capitalist is exploiting the worker. Now, we are libertarians, we are voluntarists, uh, um, and we believe that that is a mutually beneficial relationship between the employer and the employee. Or at least it can be. Yeah, it can be. At least it can be. But Marx saw everything in terms of victim and perpetrator, and this has been adopted. Or an oppressor and an oppressed class. Exactly. Exactly. And this has been adopted into feminism and then Mm. exported throughout all of these different social relationships. So does it actually need an oppressed class in order to... Can can women and men exist in a non-oppressive way? In, in our society, is that possible? Yeah, well, it's interesting because um, according to uh, everyday feminism, which is this sort of uh, yeah. rad- radicalised version of intersectional feminism, sure. they have these ideas of um, men are the oppressors and women are the oppressed, mm-hmm. and they redefine the word sexism to mean um, uh, prejudice and discrimination plus power. And so by this, this definition, it's impossible to be sexist towards men. And so okay, yeah. um, I think I think the basic idea of section, intersectionality can actually be um, a, a good idea because someone might have a, a privilege in one way and they might be oppressed in, in, another. A, in another way. But what the problem with everydayfeminism.com is that it makes this generalization that all men are the oppressors and all yeah. women yeah. are the oppressed. So a duchess, despite the fact that a duchess is more privileged than her butler, let's say, she can't be sexist towards her butler. Yes. That would be the theory, at least. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, the Duchess has more overall privilege, but the, uh, um, a feminist from everydayfeminism.com would argue that the, um, the butler has more male privilege. Okay. And, and so, so they, would, they would say that a homeless, black, gay man still has more male privilege than a middle-class, rich, rich right. white woman. How does the matrix work? I mean, do they have an X line and a Y line and kind of like how do how does it? I mean, like, is there? A, I would love a game of top trumps where it was based on intersectionality mm-hmm. and patriarchy and stuff like that. So you could, so we could all sit here with our top trump cards and read them out, and you get your get your privileges on the table. And I don't know what trumps what. I take it a, a lesbian woman would trump a gay man and and, and talk. I don't trumps know. But yeah, I mean, I mean, people have already sort of uh, uh, taken the piss out of this idea. All right, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, you have what's called the Oppression Olympics, which is right. kind of a jokey way of okay. you know yeah. taking a bash at this idea. But no, it's 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 interesting because I mean, I think I think there's there's good stuff and bad stuff to come out of this idea. So the good thing is there are a lot of complex ways in which people can be privileged and oppressed. Um, but I mean, the bad thing is when uh, people make generalizations, because of course, in reality, it's very nuanced. And I mean, 
men experience more uh, violence than women, in, yeah. at least in terms of physical assaults. Yeah. Uh, but of course, that is that is carried out by men. Um, True, but here's the thing: if you if you to suggest to if you said to feminists, uh, look, most black men in America are not killed by white policemen; they're killed by other black men. They would immediately say, "Well, you have to examine the underlying social uh, circumstances in which that comes about." But they don't apply that same thing when you say, like, a man is far more likely to be the victim of violent yeah, attack it's not the than a woman. Victim's fault. It's not the victim's yeah. fault that most men. You know, see if you're one of these guys that you're just walking down the street, a peace-loving guy minding your own business, and you get beaten up, and it's not much use to you to say, "Oh well, you were beaten up by a man." I've never been so glad to be an individualist rather than a collectivist than having this conversation on this intersectionality where you said, well, that butler's got more male privilege, even though he's the butler, because they don't see human beings as flesh and blood individuals. They see them as demographics. I don't think there's anything more racist or prejudicial than defining someone by their sexuality, their race, their class, their yeah. gender. I mean... Um, That's back to what you said about yeah. enforcing labels on people. It's, yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's become all about identity. Identity politics, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's this sort of uh, putting people in this pigeonhole and then making generalizations about that pigeonhole, saying either everyone in this group is oppressed or everyone in this group is some yeah. sort of patriarchal force. Tell us about your show. Uh, yeah, so my show addresses a lot of these ideas because obviously in the time we live in, it's it's difficult to uh, talk about uh, some of these ideas uh, because, I mean, you might be seen as unsensitive if you have a sort of blunt conversation about some of these ideas. And of course, there is a lot of uh, cultural pressure to not question some of these ideas mm -hmm. because you may be seen as uh, harming women if you're, if you're questioning feminism. Yeah. Do you ever get the expression tinned? I, there is no debate. Uh, these things have been settled, sealed, decided. You know, the, what's the need for debate? Because we, we, we already know that you know, what, we, what we feel or what good, what right thinking people think about these things. I mean, do you I get mean, that attitude? Um, I mean, I've never heard the word uh, tinned used tinned. in that way before. Yeah. You? For me as well. Is it? Tinned, yeah, yeah there is no debate. <laughs> well, yeah, right. capitalism versus socialism, man. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go on, Steve. Um, but yeah, I mean, I cover other things as well. I mean, I talk about Islam. It's it's not just uh, feminism that I'm addressing. I'm addressing uh, Islam and Charlie Hebdo and things like that. Uh, actually, one of my favourite thinkers on Islam is uh, Majid Nawaz, and he makes some really important distinctions. Um, you know, he makes this distinction between maybe a liberal Muslim, a conservative Muslim, a political Islamist, and a jihadist. Yeah, um, and I think it really is important to make those distinctions. You told me last night you didn't like a term was, it was a moderate. It was mo I said moderate, and you said you prefer the word liberal Muslim to moderate Muslim. Mm. Can you explain why that is for people out there? Because I think this was a great point. Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, I changed my use of language um, because I've got a Muslim friend, and I was talking to him, and and he sort of picked me up on that. And okay. so I think I think maybe the way he felt it was. Um, you know, if someone's a very devout Muslim, if they're called a moderate Muslim, that's sort of... Uh, they, they don't want to be seen as a moderate sure. Muslim. Uh, but, of course, it's possible to have a very devout Muslim who is also very liberal. It's almost like being saying that they're a lax Muslim or a... You know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it suggests that they don't... Really take their faith seriously. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, he said, look, no, I'm not a moderate. I'm not a moderate. Yes, I'm cool with gays. I'm cool with gay marriage. I'm, I'm cool with... Uh, I don't women, Jews, yeah. Jews, yeah. whatever... 
But that doesn't mean that I don't take my faith seriously, so I don't want to be called a moderate. Yeah, exactly, yeah, which is why I prefer the term liberal Muslim, uh, because that because it's obviously possible to be a very devout yet liberal Muslim, yeah. It's, I think it's possible, I mean, to, to change tact slightly, because I mean, I, came from, I come from a Roman Catholic background, and you kind of have similar char- uh, characteristics uh, there. I mean, I suppose you would, somebody who would be a, a, a radical uh, Roman Catholic would maybe look back to somebody like Hernan Cortez or something like this, you know, uh, or uh, Pope Innocent III, be radical Roman Catholics. And then you have the um, sort of Christina Adonis of the world who are who would call themselves liberal Roman Catholics. But as someone from a Roman Catholic background, I feel the term liberal Roman Catholics a bit fraudulent because if you look at Roman Catholicism, if you look at the, the, the rules, you look at the regulations, you look at what the Pope says, you look at the Council of Trent uh, and Vatican II, it's pretty hard to come away with thinking that you can juxtapose a liberal secular worldview with you know you, something's got to give there mm. you're either not 100% Roman Catholic or you're not 100% liberal some's got to live now I don't particularly care when it comes to Islam I don't care if I personally think that a Muslim's sort of shining themselves on if I think that they're they're not Look, you just haven't read it properly, and the ones that we call radicals are blowing themselves up. They're actually not really radicals, they're just Muslims. I don't care if in their own mind they can juxtapose the liberality and Islam, I'm just happy that they do. That's that's the only problem I would have with calling somebody a liberal Muslim. I would think, personally, I just think, either you're not liberal or you're not a Muslim, one or the other. But I'm happy enough for... that's That would be me trying to enforce a label on them. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, cause, uh, I might disagree with that a bit, um, okay. because I think uh, it, it depends how you define it, obviously, because, I mean, there are 1.6 billion Muslims, so you could argue that there are 1.6 billion versions of Islam, right. and of course it's possible to have a conversation about what are the mainstream versions yeah. of Islam, what are the most popular versions, and I certainly agree that uh, most versions of Islam are very conservative, so if you're talking about the mainstream, mm-hmm. then certainly Islam in the Middle East and the North of Africa, and even the versions of Islam in Britain are very conservative, to give British standards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, to give just one touching point on that, there was a survey recently for a Channel 4 documentary called What Muslims Really Think. So if anyone's interested in watching that documentary, you can check it out. Okay. And there was some research done for that. So they had a Was that the Trevor Phillips thing? He was at one point the chairman of some sort of left-wing liberal think tank. He's kind of shifted his position over the years, but sorry, yeah, I'm interrupting. Trevor Phillips and the Islam thing. Uh, yeah, well, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just going to give a touching point on uh, what British Muslims think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a really good survey done for that documentary. They had a sample size of a thousand Muslims and, and they had a control group. And so I think it's really important. To Is have that a big enough sample, though, a thousand? I mean, w- were they from one particular area? Or Actually, they... no. They okay. sampled from uh, many different areas across the UK. Right. So they really did try to touch as many areas of the UK as possible. Right. So I think for this type of survey, a thousand is actually a good size. I mean, most surveys are in that region. I mean, Pew might have bigger samples than that, but Pew does global research. So yeah. they might have thousands or maybe even tens of thousands. Yeah. Uh, but no, the, the touching point I was going to give was um, they found that 52% of British Muslims think being gay should be illegal. And so okay. uh, so they're maybe about 50 years behind our society because we legalised being gay 50 years ago. But I wonder what the percentage of Roman Catholics would be if, we, if they'd done the same survey. Just to, to, yeah. to try and even so, this up a Yeah, no, that's certainly uh, a good question. They did or a, evangelical Christians. or yeah, yeah, they did. They had a control group and they found that 11% of Brits 
think that being gay should be illegal. Okay. And so I found that surprising as well. One, right. like one in ten British people think um, being gay should be illegal. The, yes, yeah, so they, they compared Muslims to just uh, every other British person. But yeah, certainly it would be interesting to have a survey of uh, other religions for yeah, comparison. Yeah. I'm relating this to same my experience of Judaism, for example, what I know about Judaism. Right, I think people like us, we've got very analytic minds. And in that way, we've got more in common with the so-called radicalist or fundamentalist Muslims who will go back to the text and try and analyse exactly what the text is saying and then do it by the book. That's the way that our mind works. And in that way, Mm. we have sympathy with those who treat it that way. But if you actually tried to do Judaism by the book, you'd have a very, very difficult time of it. And you'd find that really there's no such thing. I mean, say if you wanted to get married or something like that, there's something that's valued in the currency of the time, uh, Zuzim. No one knows how much a Zuzim is worth, you know, by today's standards. So how how would you even go about organizing your wedding along the lines of that tradition um, yeah. you find that there's a multiplicity of Jewishness and that most Muslims are not as analytic as we are yeah. and will not be going to the book will be a whole assortment of traditions and they will say well you know you're a Christian mm-hmm. and you talk and in Christianity they talk about the spirit of the text, versus the letter of the text. The letter of the text is, thou shalt not kill. The spirit of the text is, thou shalt not hate, for example. Yeah. Someone might say. Mm-hmm. And well, I think it's when, quite clear that, that, yeah, but, they, but, that, that Jesus himself says, if you hate someone in, their, in your heart, you're already guilty of their murder right. before God. So, the, the, so it's, not a, it's not really a matter of interpretation, that so one. So the spirit of the law and the letter of the law are both yeah. quite explicit in, right. that, in that. So, so now that's where you might come into some ambiguity. Okay. So we might say that there's, people will say, well, there's a whole bunch of different traditions surrounding Islam and that it's really impossible to say what the real Islam is. There is that argument. Is it is it part of the problem that there's no centralised authority? If you look at something like Roman Catholicism, mm. you know who the boss is. It's the guy mm. with the pointy hat comes out every year on the, at St. Peter's Square. They go, that's the boss. He decides what is and what is not Roman Catholicism. And that should be the end of the argument. Whereas in Islam, there seems to be no central figure. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, mm. but from the point of view of trying to tie down what is and what is not yeah, well, that's what you mean. the I mean, real I, Islam, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, as someone who doesn't believe in God, in, yeah. or, uh, I mean, I would say that there's no such thing as a true version of Islam in a sense. I mean, obviously, uh, every Muslim is trying to find what they believe is mm. the true version of Islam according to God. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I, I would say that it's very uh, relative, and uh, each individual Muslim has their own version of Islam. I mean, it's possible to have a conversation about what are the most popular and most common versions of Islam. Yeah. And of course, they are very conservative, uh, especially in the Middle East and the North of Africa, but even in Britain and Western mm. countries, they're still very conservative. Um, so yeah, it depends what you mean, and of course that's why I love Majid Nawaz, he's my favourite thinker on this topic, and he, he really places emphasis on making distinctions between liberal Muslims, conservative Muslims, political Islamists, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Would so, you like to make those distinctions for us? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, just like, I mean, a liberal Muslim, I guess, would be, you know, you can take certain things from Islam, such as a belief in God, a belief in an astral life, but you can have very liberal moral beliefs, such as you have your pro-gay rights, your pro-women's rights, you have no problem with Jews. And then a more conservative Muslim would be someone who thinks um, uh, being gay should be illegal, uh, which is what uh, the majority of Muslims in Britain think, uh, 52%. It was only 18% that think being gay should be legal, and um, yeah. uh, the people in the middle hadn't made up their minds. And so that would be a conservative Muslim. A political Islamist is someone who wants to actually impose Sharia law on other people, so they're interested in creating an Islamic state. Mm -hmm. And an interesting fact I learned from reading... Majid Nawazi's book with Sam Harris is that actually a lot of Muslims, the majority of Muslims in the Middle East aren't Islamists, even though they're very conservative. So it's actually maybe only about 20% of Muslims that want to create an Islamic state and impose yeah. Sharia law. So even though many Muslims are very uh, conservative, they're sort of anti-women, anti-gay, they don't want any particular version of Islam imposed because they want the secular freedom to uh, practice their own conservative version. Yeah. So that's a political Islamist. And then you have a jihadist who uses violence to further the cause of Islamism. And uh, he makes another distinction. Uh, a, a, a jihadist terrorist is someone who specifically targets innocent civilians. It's estimated that maybe about 20% or under is are, uh, the sort of political Islamists. And obviously a smaller percentage yeah. there, the actual uh, jihadists. Okay. To give a, to give a that's, that's still a fuckload of Muslims. Though, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah I, guess, I guess that's true. And um, I mean, there's also a fuckload of liberal Muslims. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, uh, but, um, well, but, but, but isn't the problem is, if you got, let's say 50% were liberal and 50% were jihadists, just for, just for the sake of argument. It's not an equal balance because that 50% that are liberal aren't going to do anything. Aren't going to do, they, they don't have the capacity to take on those 50% that are, that are jihad. They are by their nature kind of stronger. I know you could argue it's not necessarily violence isn't strength. We could have that argument. But, and even within... They're going to be highly motivated. Yeah, they're going to be highly motivated. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to be brutalist. They're going to believe in violence and pretty ruthless as well. So it's, it's that even that 50-50 thing wouldn't be a, an ideal balance. And within communities, there's always going to be, let's say within a community, a very small group who are violent. There's going to be a larger group around them who, while they're not particularly violent themselves, they tacitly agree with the ones who are. Then outside of those, they're ones who, well, we don't tacitly agree with violence, but you know what? We're not going to grass up the ones who do. And uh, there's the other ones who say, well, we totally disagree with that. Uh, we're not going to grass them up, but at the same time, we're not going to do anything about it either because they're brother Muslims, even though we think we, we, we disagree with them. So it's kind of difficult to, 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 to police that, and it's difficult to, uh, you know, to get a handle on it. Yeah, certainly. I mean... Um uh, to give another touching point on that, there was another survey. So the survey I was talking about before sure. was for the uh, Channel 4 documentary. Yeah, the Trevor Phillips one. Uh, yeah, and, and there's another survey conducted for uh, BBC Radio 4. I think this one was conducted by Comres. Okay. Um, and again, another sample size of a 1,000. Yeah. And they found that... Ha both of these organisations were hardly a bastion of right-wing reactionary sort of... Uh, yeah, well, it's actually, yeah. It was, yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, there have been many, many surveys conducted, and mm -hmm. they all find the same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. the numbers are in. We, we, so they found that one in four Muslims had sympathy for the Charlie Hebdo attacks, and one in four Muslims think that violence against cartoonists that depict the Prophet Muhammad can be justified sometimes. Okay. So to, to, give, a, so to give a touching point, I mean, 
it's not all Muslims that would commit a violent act, yeah. but certainly there are uh, one in four Muslims yeah. that in Britain this yeah. was that would have uh, yeah. sympathy for yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I guess there'd be some that would say, well, I think it's terrible. They shouldn't, you know, shouldn't cut people's heads off or they shouldn't kill them, but they, they, they can give them a damn good hiding. Right. Do you, do you know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, they give them a good do. Yeah, if you're right, if you do a, a picture of the Prophet Muhammad, yeah, you don't deserve to die for it, but at least you should get a good beating or something like that. There might be some thoughts along those lines. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, I think it's best thought of as concentric circles. You know, the smallest circle is the most violent jihadist, and yeah. then you get, you know, yeah, the varying levels of conservatism all the way Well, there it. are two things that all Muslims believe. Okay. Here there we is go. only one God, Allah. And Muhammad is a prophet. If you say that in Arabic, then you become a Muslim. So well, if you say it and you and if you declare it and you friend, you actually believe it. I yeah, mean, I, I could I, say it right now. It doesn't I mean I believe it. Yeah. yeah. So that's so if you declare that, that's how you convert to Islam. Yeah. Nice easy conversion. Mm. Now, I guess my concern with that is um, that there's a rather large biography. Of Muhammad called the Sira. Um, well, there's a there's a collection of biographies, and if you accept what Muslims are meant to believe, which is the life of Muhammad, which is called the Sunnah by Muslims, is the perfect life, then you read the Sira and see what Muhammad actually did in his life. Uh, a lot of bad things, didn't he? Like watch seven hundred Jews get their get beheaded, heads, get beheaded with his wife which he consummated a marriage with when she was nine and so forth it's one it's of his kind, wives it's least. kind of hard to nicely say to someone uh, i'm sorry but your prophet's a pedophile a warlord who killed a whole bunch of people that didn't agree with him mm. i mean there's no no well, just, there's, there's no non-triggering no. way to no. say that no. But they'll simply say that you're contextualising it within the times. You know, but, but his life is meant to be the perfect life. And the, if people take that seriously, if people take the Sunnah seriously yeah. as the perfect life, then there's a pretext to do everything that ISIS is doing. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that... You, you will get unfairly yeah. caricatured for saying these things as though I'm saying that Islam is the only... You know, is is the the only wrong party in this? No, I hate the history of Western imperialism. I think Western intervention into the Middle East has done more to spread radical Islam than anything else. If you think there was no, there was no jihadis in Iraq mm-hmm. or Afghanistan, we we've propped up Saudi Arabia, who start all these Wahhabi yeah. schools all over the world. Uh, we took out democratically elected leaders in at least four. Muslim countries, yeah. which may have become a lot more moderate, uh, sorry, a lot more liberal, <laughs> if we hadn't removed those dictators. But we need to look at the reality of the chess board as it is just now. And these are some of the threats to liberty. Uh, radical feminism, social justice warriors, uh, radical Islam, Western foreign policy intervention, and, yeah. and, and so forth. And we need to look at all of those and, and find out how we're going to deal with them all. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, I guess, I mean, there's, I guess there's two conversations to be had. There's the conversation of, is it a problem, yes or no? And I think, uh, I think yes, there are problematic uh, versions of Islam that exist. In, uh, that, I mean, they're worryingly prevalent. 
But I guess the next question is, what's the solution? Yeah. And I think that's a difficult question. Exactly. We were fond of this show saying, don't bring us problems, bring us solutions. So, uh-huh. yeah. so you're, <laughs> yeah. we're going to send you a way to figure that out. Uh-huh. And then once you've got the solution, you can come back on our show again, we hope. I mean, have you, have you got an idea for a solution? I mean, do, I mean, does the, do the Western democracies have the cojones to be able to deal with this situation? Or is it a case that they might just be stronger than us? In the end. Maybe they win. Maybe they win, yeah. The collapse of Western civilization. The collapse is it. Well, all empires have a, a, a shelf life, you know, so... Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of, obviously, very controversial things. Because when you try to come up with solutions, obviously, you need to tread into controversial territory. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was one solution that uh, Norway is implementing. I mean, Norway okay. is generally seen as uh, quite a progressive country in terms of social and moral issues. So one yeah. solution that they came up with was... Any new uh, immigrant from uh, sort of a culture such as the Middle East or the North of Africa that's very conservative, they actually give them a class on um, what Western values are, and they say, this is how we treat people in our country, these are our values. So that was one way that they tried to reduce uh, some of the things that we're seeing. What are Western values? Well, I mean, I would say don't don't rape women as a Western value. Um, But that's not a value other places in the world. You racist. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends what you mean. There are different cultures. There are different yeah. rape rates. And, uh, yeah. The rape rates in the Congo are different from the rape rates right. in the UK. Right. Yeah. And um, obviously you've seen uh, in European countries, there have been instances of uh, refugees committing uh, sexual yes. assaults because they have yes. a very different culture in their yeah. own country. And of course, I'm not Do you not think it's just because if you come from here... From the Middle East to a Western country, you have very low sexual market value. You don't speak the language, you probably don't know how to flirt with Western women, you might not have um, be from a good socioeconomic class and all sorts of things, and your chances of like getting a girlfriend are really, really low unless you do some serious, serious work. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I think you're just describing me. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I might be. I might be going down a dead end. Uh, yeah, well, no, I might disagree. <laughs> do do we not need to all go to workshops on how to be a sweet pickup artist or something? Like that? <laughs> um, well, this is the, well, this is the problem I have with this kind of thing. The idea that you need to go. Anybody should go to a, a workshop and, and learn how to be, you know, westernized. I, 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 I've got I've got problems with these with these things. I mean, I think that they're problematic. I mean, we had Theresa May had the same sort of idea here, I believe, where we would give people uh, some sort of test to find out if they knew about British values. And I don't I don't even know if they if they work. I mean, let's suppose somebody swatted up the, the way you do do a driving test. I mean, like we all we all do a driving test. We all learn how to pass the test. Mm. We all learn how to pass the the the, the, the written exam. But as soon as you get on the road and you start driving, you just do it the way you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> like, you know. So the idea that we sit down 10 jihadis, give them a test, and you know, give them a, a, a McDonald's burger and you know, show them a few episodes of Friends and suddenly they'll go, oh, we get it now. You know, we came here with the, the nefarious intent of wiping out you kaffir. But now that we've watched a few episodes of Friends and we've had a McDonald's burger, I think you guys are great. You know, I just 
it just sounds um, so fucking lame to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, that's yeah. an interesting point. Yeah. It's a valid point, but I mean, that's that's one counter argument. But then, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of agree yeah. that the classes are probably going to be largely ineffectual. Yeah. But, uh, but then, I mean, if they're having any effect at all, if you can even stop one sexual assault, then maybe they're worth it. I'm, I'm really not sure what I, I think of this yet, but I think it's still important to speak about things yeah. that you're not certain okay. about. But, um, is yeah. it maybe a case of when you go like it's not you don't have an excuse anymore that you don't know what Western values are. You don't have an excuse that you come from an alien culture. You've been told and you still went ahead and done this. So it's like is, is it maybe, responsibility? Yeah, is it maybe that? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess the reasoning is that you're you're just you're helping in some way. I mean, I, I do agree that the classes probably aren't. You're not going to change someone's worldview in the space of an hour class. Yeah. So I agree with you on that point. But maybe there is still some value in the class. Okay. But it's interesting. I wanted to point out another uh, double standard that sure. people might have. There are uh, rape classes for men at some universities. So yeah. basically, uh, men are told, uh, you know, uh, these are these are consent classes. Mm-hmm. This is how you, you you get proper consent. So there are classes uh, for men that some that some feminists push. Yeah. Uh, but of course, a lot of the left wingers. I mean, I consider myself to be left wing. Sure. But a lot of the left wingers will oppose classes for uh, Muslims. And so there seems to be a bit of a, a double what standard about, there. What uh, about classes for women on consent to teach them not to manipulate men into buying them drinks at bars, <laughs> especially when they're at uni? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess it depends. Uh, maybe it depends what's more important. I mean, I guess uh, stop, stopping rape is more important than... Uh... But rape is a criminal phenomenon. It's like most rapists have several... I, I fear we're drifting back into victims. feminism. Se- yeah, I mean, there's lots to cover. I mean, there's no platforming, which is uh, which is an interesting phenomenon, which is largely a student phenomenon. And I'm fascinated in mm. this because I wonder why it is. Uh, because... Uh, because we know that it is largely a shit phenomenon, but we don't know why it's necessarily. So, I mean, I'll, I'll maybe throw out some, some speculative ideas. Okay. ideas. Um, I mean, it is students tend to be more left-wing, and this is uh, quite a sort of progressive idea. Well, the young people in general not tend to be more left-wing. True. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, so, and it seems that this idea has come out the left. Uh, but it's interesting because um, uh, feminists and students are actually no-platforming other feminists. So Julie mm-hmm. Bindle is a radical feminist that was no-platform. Jermaine yeah. Greer, even yeah. Kate Smirthwaite, and she yeah. is a third-wave feminist. She's not yeah. radical. And she was no-platformed because she was going to do a sort of free speech comedy show. And and the reason she was no-platformed was that people were going to picket her show because she wanted to decriminalize prostitution, which I think is a good idea. Right. But because okay. she, had this, she held this disagreeable idea... Uh, she was no platforms. Wait, wait, did Julie Bindle, what did, did she get no platform for saying men should be put in concentration camps? No, she didn't get no else? platform for that. It was to do with transgender yeah. issues. Yeah. I think so she was. So they the, don't care about the fact that she said men should be put in detention camps. Well, do you know what? She I mean, I, I don't yeah. really care about that either. I mean, but to me. No, it, I don't care about her saying that. What I care about is the fact that other the double feminists All right. don't pull feminists up on misandry. Well, it's, if they did, it's, but it's kind of back to the Islamic argument where mm. you get different categories and the matter of even the ones that disagree with the, the, the radical ones won't call them out. Because they're on the right side. Even yeah, if e- yeah, even if their right. methods are wrong, they're still on the right side. And even if they're, they're spreading disinformation. I mean, I've heard certain feminists say, well, look, yeah, we know that these, that, that, uh, I don't know, like the rule of thumb, for example, we know that that's a, a myth. But do you know what? It doesn't matter if we get it out there and it brings people on board and it, uh, it activates people. Then 
then all good. You know, it doesn't matter that it's actually a lie as long as people believe the lie and it helps it, it helps the cause. Mm-hmm. So, but with the, back to, to, to try to stay on track with the no platforming, you were giving us some of the reasons, you were saying it was a, it was a youth, well, not a youth thing, but it's a very studenty thing. And that's weird because what universities and colleges and campuses should be all about radical, all sorts of radicalism yeah, yeah, and yeah. a marketplace of ideas mm-hmm. and a place for debate. And What's yet, marketplace? We're talking about university education. Oh, God, you're right. okay. Education so. should not be about profit. Yeah. My personal take is there's a lot of precious sort of mummies, princesses and princes who have been told from the age of two that they're a very special poppet. And when you get, by the time they get to university, that special poppetry, right? <laughs> you know, suddenly they're, they're, they're offended when somebody tells them, actually, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as clever as you think you are. You're not as well informed as you think you are. And I think you're wrong. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, and I'd mix that in with the tinned argument. You know, there is the what is wrong with you? There is no debate. These things have been thrashed out. Anybody who's righteous, anybody who's a right thinking person, any good person would yes, automatically so would automatically agree with us. So therefore, we have to shut you down because you're a poison. It's the mixture of beliefs with morality. So that gives you a pretext to be a complete asshole to anyone who disagrees (laughs) with you because they're a bad person. Now, if they're just a person like you and me who has a disagreement with you, then you have a debate. But if they're a bad person, well, what's the point in debating? You know that they're evil already, so you can't let them give a talk at your university in case they spread their poisonous ideas and people end up agreeing with them. Mm. It's really interesting, yeah, because, I mean, um, I think it is so important to put a spotlight on bad ideas because um, uh, there's, a, there's an interesting example that um, Milo Ianopoulos yeah. gives, and he says uh, what happened in the UK was uh, when, the B, uh, when the BNP party was gathering momentum, mm. uh, the leader of the party, uh, Griffin... Uh, Nick Griffin Nick, at the Nick time. Griffin, yeah. Nick Griffin, yeah. yeah. Uh, he went on uh, question time and you know, yeah. people petitioned and he said, no, we should no platform him. Yeah. We shouldn't let people hear these ideas because what if it converts everyone yeah. else to be yeah. racist? And of course, what actually happened was he went on, he went on the show and then uh, everyone discovered just how bad his ideas yes. were. They were like, oh, wait, is this what we voted for? He's actually really racist. And then the party uh, drastically lost popularity. Yeah. And so I think it is so important to actually put a spotlight on bad ideas. I don't want to leap too much to Nick Griffin's defence, but out of all the question times that I've ever seen, I'd never seen a show so loaded. Mm. To all the questions, it's almost as if everybody in the, the audience... Everyone had wanted a chance to speak to him because they never get a chance. I guess, but it just seemed like the show was loaded to, to make him look even more idiotic than he actually was. But I get the point, Stephen, yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess the point is that uh, people shouldn't be no-platformed. If you can be converted to a way of thinking simply by listening to a speaker, mm. then that's they're probably uh, good ideas. And I mean, the way to dismantle the ideas is to debate them and to show publicly why they're bad. The solution is not to just uh, silence yeah, them. Isn't the solution and more spread, widespread teaching people to deal with evidence, to deal with logic and stuff yeah. like that? Are you suggesting we should teach people how to think? Well, I mean, you, you, you need to... Where would that end? (laughs) You're not born with an instruction manual. You're not born knowing how to exercise your body properly. You're not born knowing necessarily what to eat and what's good for you. And you're definitely not born 
knowing how to use your mind properly. So I don't know why they don't have critical thinking classes in school mm. unless it's as a deliberate mode of approach. I mean, I mean which, which university did you attend? Or did you go? Uh, Edinburgh University. Right, and that's that's one of the... They got our Enemy of Liberty Award, I think, uh, last last month, the month before. Yeah. But yeah, they, they're, they're one of the, the worst for this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. If you go on... Um, I mean, the Blurred Lines thing was the first time I was aware of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, they banned definitely. a song for crying out loud. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if you go on uh, spiked.com... Yeah. Yeah, they've got a really good sort of free speech university rankings. Yeah. And yeah, no, Edinburgh University is quite bad. I did my undergrad there in philosophy and psychology and then I did a master's uh, through an Aberdeen in games development. But no, okay. Edinburgh University, um, it has quite an authoritarian student union council at the moment okay. and you can go in and read it online if you go to uh, so, so the website is USA it stands for Edinburgh University Student Association right. and you can read their safe space policy there and they have rules about uh, which Halloween costumes are banned mm-hmm. uh, obviously they've banned songs universities around the UK newspapers do the rugby team have to go to a, a, a class on how not to rape women is that, is that compulsory for the I can't remember if that team? was uh, Edinburgh University but certainly that was at one university I forget which okay. um, but yeah you know you have this is a new phenomenon uh, consent classes for men yeah uh, but it's an interesting question because obviously they have uh, classes in Norway now for mm. immigrants, um, but there does seem to be a, a double standard because the yeah. left is uh, yeah pushing for consent classes for men, but they're opposed to con- uh, consent classes for immigrants. Uh, but yeah, I, I really um, not, I'm not sure what I think on that particular. Well, what's the solution with the with the campuses and with the the situation? I mean, because I mean, it's, it's not just a, a UK phenomenon. This is pretty bad in America as well. It's and worse very, in America. Do you think we're approaching a, a situation where we might have the kangaroo courts in the? Are, are we there already? Where they have kangaroo courts in uh, British universities, where instead of the normal process of law and evidence. Uh, if somebody makes an accusation against you, it's heard by that particular university's panel, and if they believe that person over you, you are out of university. Oh, yeah. Really? It's really worrying. Um, I mean, uh, actually, um, it's interesting because we were talking about Milo Yiannopoulos before and how he was banned from Twitter, and there's an interesting question there, which is someone can be censored and no-platformed depending on the ruling of a private company rather than the law of the state. But uh, And also, uh, more power is being given to universities in the US and the UK. And the interesting thing is, uh, there was actually one example of this where two students wore a t-shirt with uh, Jesus and Mo Carton in it, so they wore a t-shirt with a depiction of the Prophet Muhammad, okay. and they were threatened with expulsion from university right. if they didn't uh, cover their t-shirts. Right. And thankfully, this was at the uh, London School of Economics, and thankfully that university apologised. But of course, the threat was still there. This does happen at certain universities. If you do the wrong thing, then you're threatened with expulsion or various other things. So we've now got a case where, um, obviously, everyone, a lot of people want to go to university, but while you're at university, you're subject to the laws, the rules of the university. Yeah. And the worrying thing is that the way universities are composed is you have lots of dis- different societies, which is a good thing. You then have a student union which presides over the societies and sets the rules. And then in the UK, you have this organisation called the National Union of Students, mm-hmm. which is an organisation that presides over every student union. And so each level adds more and more rules and these yeah. rules are applied to speakers so if a speaker violates these rules then they're banned and student unions are banning all sorts of things like songs and halloween questions and uh, yeah. all sorts yeah yeah and, and given that you know at one time maybe one in five university lecturers was a conservative or a libertarian and 80 percent were liberals or leftists and now that's reduced to maybe one in 20 as a conservative or a libertarian 
I worry as a liberty-minded person how long before, you know, having a pro-capitalism position, uh, believing in free markets is seen as somehow oppressive and wrong. And the few lecturers who talk about how um, capitalism has been enriching the poor throughout history and in the poorest places in the world as we speak, the, the, the ones that have moved away from central planning towards free markets are seeing the greatest gains in terms of people coming out of poverty. How long before saying that in a university campus is going to get you banned or in front of one of these tribunals? Because doesn't everyone know t- it's tinned and capitalism yeah. is oppressive? Yeah. Well, I don't know, I mean, but you made the point last week, though, Anthony, that um, maybe the, the solution is to just circum- circumvent universities altogether. I mean, why are we still tied in a situation where we value people based on a piece of paper that says this person's very good at absorbing and regurgitating information. Um, maybe the way forward is just to democratise education, if that's the right word, democratise, mm-hmm. uh, or just break up the educational establishment to the extent where we don't we don't value these things anymore. We value people as individuals. We value them for their innate, innate abilities, and we value them for their for themselves, as opposed to you know just down to a certificate. I mean, can you see that happening? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what I think about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that would be, I guess that might be a long way in the future if it does happen. Right. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. Um, I mean, the whole idea of universities in the first place, I think, that was started by monks. They were the only people who actually knew fuck all about anything. And also, <laughs> so people had to go to university because that's where they had all the books for yeah, a start. Exactly. You know, whereas all the books aren't in the universities anymore. You can get all the books online now mm-hmm. anyway. So. Back then, books were extraordinarily expensive. Now, most people have a library in their house. Yeah. The universities were built around the library. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I agree with that because, I mean, increasingly, uh, we're getting to the point where... Yeah, books are cheap, and you can get uh, electronic copies of books, so they're effectively yeah. free if you want yeah. them to be free. And um, you can and get very good quality lecturing and uh, tutoring online YouTube. as well. I learned yeah. about economics from YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if the state wanted to make it uh, less expensive, I mean, they could yeah. just pay for the best lecturers to do the lectures, record those lecturers, lectures, and then distribute them digitally for free. And yeah, you could absolutely. Do that, you could do that with books, and then the only cost of it would be printing the book yourself. So you could uh, you could make education a lot easier, and if, I guess that so I guess all the only cost would be a place where you would need to turn up and sit the exam, and uh, and get the certificate, which yeah, um, which surely cost a lot. So do you think we're up against the? We talked last week about the um, academic industrial complex. I mean, everybody talks about the military industrial complex. It's a given, but the academic industrial complex, where you have highly paid people and in, in good jobs, and you know, if anything that threatens their crap game, so to speak, has got to be opposed. So, uh, so I, I guess those those types of people will oppose the, the democratization and the cheapening of uh, cheapening, not the cheapening, but uh, making education more accessible. I mean, they talk a lot. They talk a lot about making education more accessible, and they talk free a lot education. and free education. But yet, they consistently put obstacles and barriers to entry in the way of that. Yeah, I mean, if, if you believe in free education, that's excellent. I mean, we put out this programme and we teach about economics and current affairs as well as just having a good chat and a laugh. 
if you're if you're a lecturer and you believe in free education, why aren't you putting your lecture series on YouTube so that anyone can benefit from it? Mm. I think this is what we're going to see in the future. I think we're we're going to see people migrating from real life universities, especially as fees go up and things like that, to online universities where they can let link with students all over the world and have mm. online seminars and learn from each other and teach each other with rock star famous lecturers, you know, people as charismatic as Brian Cox with the brain of Isaac Newton, mm. teaching them. So tell everyone once again where they can find your show. Plug it, tell them to come and see you because I, I recommend your show. I mean, if you're interested in any of these ideas, I mean, it's uh, Opium at 6.45 every evening. It's every evening till the 20th of August. Yeah. So you've got... 12 more nights to catch Stephen's excellent show This Is Not A Safe Space and is it part of the free friend yeah it's a free show yeah. wow yeah. okay so, uh, come on yeah, go along yeah, get there so Stephen it's been informative and it's been fun thanks very much for coming on the Liberty Podcast and please come back and join us again yeah thanks very much yeah, I'd love to come back it's very enjoyable to discuss uh, dangerous ideas and I think the irony is that although we're in a space that isn't safe this often is the safest space to discuss these dangerous ideas Agreed. Just a quick note to say that you can find Stephen's details, his Facebook page and other pages in the description of this video or in the description of the podcast if you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud.